Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. Thank you. I paid them to do that. All right. Hey, uh, this morning is the last Sunday morning of this series we've been going through. It's called Square One. And what we're doing with Square One is we just decided to go back to Square One and start talking about the church and not just the church, but specifically this church. Because as we sat down and we started thinking about and talking about what it is that makes West Bulls who we are, these three things kept coming up. And those three things, if you remember, they've served as anchors for what we've talked about throughout this series. And those three things were that at West Bulls, you can discover an identity, your real identity. You can find community and you have opportunities to make a difference in the world around us. And so this morning, I'm going to try to tie all that up and wrap it all up. And as I was thinking about those three things and I was thinking about the church, this word just kept coming to mind. And I could not shake this word that just kept jumping to mind. And so this morning, I decided we're going to talk about that word. And that word is the H word. The H word. I mean, imagine that. In church on a Sunday morning, we're going to talk about the H word. Now, before you storm out of here and think, well, Nathan said that church equals H word, um, you got to know that this H word has had a huge impact on my relationship with the church. And I think by the end of this morning, Hopefully you see that it has a big impact on how you relate to the church as well. And I think when I first realized the impact of that H word on my relationship with the church, it was about 12 years ago. And this sounds silly, but it had to do with a Frisbee game that took place here at the church. Because if you've been around the youth for any amount of time here at the church, you know that they love, love, love Frisbee, right youth? Okay, so... 12 years ago, what had happened was the high school group here really loved playing Frisbee, and they thought they were really good at Frisbee. And the college group here at the church played a lot of Frisbee, and they thought they were really good at Frisbee. And so naturally, what do you think happened when a bunch of young people got together in a room and started comparing how good they were to each other? Yeah, they peacefully agreed to just walk away and be equal, <laughs> except not at all. I mean, there's all this trash talk flying, and it's a firestorm brewing. And Ryan Long, our community life director who did announcements, he's got this gift that he can walk into the middle of a firestorm and just dump gasoline all over it <laughs> till it turns into a raging inferno. And so that's exactly what happened. Ryan walked in, and he goes, okay, you guys think you're better at Frisbee, and you guys think you're better at Frisbee, so let's just find out who's better at Frisbee. And so it was decided that two weeks from that day, there would be a nice, loving, Christian, Frisbee football match between the high school group and the college group for the title of best. And so, as soon as it got announced, it, just, it became just a Frisbee game. And there was nothing nice or loving or Christian about it. And it got intense. I mean, there were like team t-shirts being made, there were announcers, there were tryouts, there were practices. Um, the, the people that made the team, they, they decided for two weeks to go on like a, like a strict diet regimen that would somehow boost their performance in two weeks. And uh, it got bad. In fact, friendships ended over who was going to make the team and who wasn't. And it was awesome. And so <laughs> anyhow, um, Ryan called me a few days after this announcement. He said, Nathan, we've got to get you on the high school Frisbee football team because I think we can take the college group. And it was in that moment that that H word came to mind. How? 
Sorry, do you guys have another H word in mind? We are in church, people. Come on. All right. So, yeah, I'm going how? Because I'm looking at their team, and they've got Jeremiah Quinones, who's up here doing music sometimes, and he's tall. And they've got Brett Gauthier from the Home Builders Group, and he's tall. And Brett's brother, Brian, he's tall. And they had Steve Vandewert, and that guy's tall and lethal. And so I'm looking at them, and I'm like, they're like nine feet tall. And you got to understand, this is before I hit my growth spurt, all right? <laughs> so at that time, I mean, I was like this. I was like 5'2", and I saw the world completely differently than I do now at 5'4". <laughs> and a quarter, and a quarter, all right? And so everybody's excited for this thing except me because I just don't see how we're going to win, and I don't want to be part of something that we're going to get demolished at. And so the Wednesday before the game came around, and uh, I was mowing somebody's lawn, and while I was mowing that lawn, their back door flew open, and this dog comes charging at me, and it's showing teeth, and it's growling, and I didn't have any time to get away before the thing latched onto the back of my leg, and it bit me twice behind the knee. Now, for most people, this is a giant setback before this huge game. But for me, this is the perfect excuse. Because <laughs> now I don't have to play in the game. And so I called Ryan and I said, Ryan, I can't play in this game. I mean, this dog just bit my knee. And he's like, well, you got to. And I was like, I'm not doing it. I got, I'm going to rest my leg. And so we got off the phone. And I guess the thing I, I didn't tell Ryan was that the dog that bit me, it was a poodle. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't even a normal poodle. It was a chihuahua-sized poodle. It was a choodle. It was a choodle. Okay? But that doesn't sound very tough to call Ryan and say, bro, pray for me in my long recovery from my choodle bite. <laughs> so, anyhow, I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm just glad I'm not in this game now. And so Sunday came around, the big game, and I put a bandage on the back of my knee and I wrapped my knee for dramatic effect and showed up. And it was a long, close, intense game, and very back and forth. But what do you think happened? The high school group won. Okay, you guys were all three when it happened, all right? <laughs> I'm sorry, you don't get to cheer. <laughs> well, okay, you, you can, all right. Oh, so, anyhow. So high school group won, and it had been so intense, and I had gotten so into the game that when the high school group scored the winning, the winning point, I just took off running down the field in excitement. And somebody's like, Nathan, I thought your knee was hurt. And I was like, I'm healed. It's a miracle. And so anyhow, everybody's celebrating, and they're excited. And suddenly that excitement started to wear off for me, and it was replaced with this realization that I just missed out. I just missed out on something really cool. And I missed out on being part of something really big at that time. And you want to know what's crazy is it's been 12 years, and I still have moments that I think about it, and it actually bugs me. Some of you are like, geez, this guy takes things hard. <laughs> I mean, it was just a game. It was just for fun. And you're right. It was just a game. And it was just for fun. But that's that power that how has. I got so focused on how this was going to happen that I missed out on when it happened.
And that's what focusing on how does. It can take us away from a game. Actually, a few things happen when we get so, so focused on how. One of those things is when we can't figure out how to do something, we just don't do anything. And we just, we get stuck. We see this a lot on youth trips. We'll go to a restaurant in like last summer of San Francisco and Orange County or Glenwood Springs and We'll be at this restaurant, and we play this game with silverware, where you just set out all the silverware, and you arrange it, and it represents a number. And the youth have to try to guess what number that is. And it is so fun to watch kids go from excited about the game to not being able to get it, to frustrated, to not having fun anymore. Um, because, and it's funny, because we'll be in these cities where there's all this stuff to do, but what do you think they want to do? They want to sit at the restaurant for three hours until they figure out how to get the solution to this game. And they don't do anything because they're stuck. Another thing that happens when we, when we just focus in on how to do something is we pull back. We pull back from being part of anything. And you see this in sports games. You know, it's the fourth quarter. It's the ninth inning. And what happens when your team is down by a lot? What do you see happening in the stands? People are leaving. It's because they don't see how it's going to happen. You know, the Broncos are down 24-0 on Monday Night Football to the San Diego Chargers. Remember that happened last fall? And if you're like me, okay, call me a bad fan, but I shut the game off at halftime because I just didn't see how it was going to happen. And what happens is we discard any possibility of anything happening when we can't figure out or see how it's going to happen. Now, I think if we are all completely honest with ourselves, focusing on how, how, has the potential to take us out and cause us to miss out on a lot more than sports or fun or games, doesn't it? I mean, when we get so focused on how, we miss out on our goals and our purpose, don't we? Because I know some people in here that you didn't get that promotion or you didn't get into that school or you just weren't advancing fast enough. And so you didn't see how you'd ever get to live this dream that you had when you were younger. How causes us to miss out on relationships? Because whether it's a friendship or, or a romantic relationship, if you've been hurt or wounded in a relationship, sometimes it's hard to see how you could ever get into another one and not get hurt. And we miss out on opportunities because of this focus on how as well. Because I know there are people here that have been part of business opportunities. And when things went south, you had to close up shop. And it's hard to take a risk after that. It's hard to see how you could ever take a risk again. And I think this is why we love those stories of people who figure out how to do something that people previously thought nobody could do or that anybody could do. You know, there was a time when people couldn't see how a human being could run a mile in under four minutes. Until I did it last week. I'm just kidding. Um, no, until Roger Bannister did it in the 1950s. It was hard for the last 300 years. I don't know if you guys saw this in the news. It was last year. For 300 years, there has been an equation that Isaac Newton developed in physics. 300 years, nobody has been able to solve this equation until last May, a 16-year-old German student did it. 
1970, nobody saw how the survival rate in children with leukemia would ever get above 9%. Do you know what that survival rate is today? It is over 90%. Because God used someone to figure out how to treat leukemia in children. We have a little girl here at the church, she's in fifth grade, Chloe Burns, who is here today because someone figured out how to treat leukemia in children. Why is it that when we come face to face with trying to figure out how something is gonna happen, that we get stuck and we don't do anything and we pull back and we discard any possibility of, of it happening in our minds. Why do we do that? And yet you see some people who they come face to face with how and they just blow right through it. Well, we're gonna talk about that this morning. And more importantly, why are we talking about the subject of focusing on how things are gonna happen at the end of a series about the church? Because when it comes to the church, I think there's a whole lot at stake. At the beginning of the series, if you were here, you remember we talked about this statement that Jesus made. He said, I'm going to build my church and nothing, not even the gates of that other H word, not even the gates of hell will stop it. And as we looked backward, we saw that nothing, nothing, nothing has stopped Jesus from building his church. And if we believe his words, then as we go forward, we'll see that nothing, nothing, Nothing will stop him from building his church. Nothing. But you know what? There is an enemy who will try everything, everything, everything to stop that church from being built. And so there is a lot at stake. And I think the number one way that he wants to stop that church from being built is by putting in our minds this focus on how. How is the church going to happen? And I think some, some of us are dealing with it right now. Or you've dealt with it in the past, and if you haven't yet, chances are you will. Because I think there could be people here this morning that this is your first time in a church ever because somebody begged you and begged you and begged you and begged you and begged you to come, and so you finally just said, all right, leave me alone, I will go. But as you look at their life, and then you look at your own life, what happens? We focus on how. It's hard to see how. You could ever be involved in church the way they are. Or maybe this is your first time in church in years because years ago, somebody hurt you in the church. And for all these years, it's been hard to see how you could ever be part of church again without getting hurt. Or maybe you've just been here every single Sunday or you come whenever you can. And the friends that you started with aren't the people that are here with you now. And it's hard for you to see how church could ever be what it once was for you. And you know what? The implications of how are huge. Because you know what happens when you focus on how? Is we miss out. We miss out on discovering an identity. We miss out on finding community. And we miss out on those opportunities that God puts in front of us to make a difference. And so that's why this morning, we have got to look at this moment in Jesus' life. Because what this moment shows us is that there is a better focus than focusing on how. 
There's a better focus. And when we change that focus, everything changes. Everything changes. And so if you have your Bibles, that story is found in Matthew 14. You can start turning there. Or if you have your app on your phone. And if you don't have either of those, we'll have it up on the screen. But first, a little bit of background. Okay. Jesus had this cousin. It was a guy named John. And John, if you've been in church, you know him as John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist was walking around, there was a guy in charge. There was a ruler named Herod, Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas had a brother named Philip. Now follow me here. Philip was married to a woman named Herodias. Well, Herod Antipas being in charge, he looked around and, you know, he can do whatever he wants. And so he saw his brother's wife and he said, I want her. And so he took Herodias to be his own wife. And I'm sure she enjoyed it because now she had this newfound power. Well, John the Baptist is looking at all this and he's going, you can't do that. Herod, that's against the law. You cannot take your brother's wife. Well, this made Herod mad. And you can imagine it made Herodias mad. Because what John was saying was a threat to what they had in their lives. And so they had him thrown in prison. Well, Herodias had this daughter, and on Herod's birthday, he invited it from the towns. Now, look, we understand this, don't we? Because what happens when you have a bad day or you've gotten bad news? You just want to be alone. You know, we just want some time. We want some time to go think. And so that's what Jesus was doing. But it was awfully difficult for Jesus to do this because do you know what, peop- what Jesus did when he was around people? He cared for people. And so who wouldn't chase after the opportunity to be with the man that cares for people when they're with him? And so you can see why all these crowds are following him. And so if he had any excuse, if if there was any day he had the excuse to be able to say, you know what, guys, not today. Not today. It's not a good day for it. It was this day. But look what he did. Verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And healed their sick. See, isn't this just what we see Jesus doing over and over and over? Is laying his wants, his emotions, his needs, his feelings aside. To go care for people. And in the middle of doing all this, after a while, the disciples show up. And look what they have to say about the whole thing. Verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go, go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Isn't this funny? Jesus has been by himself and he's, he can handle the crowd on his own. And the disciples show up and they're like, all right, Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of them. And so here's what needs to happen. You need to send them away because they need to find food. But Jesus has a different idea. Look at this, verse 16. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And in this moment, you can see what's going on in their minds. There's that H word. We feed them? How? How are we supposed to do that? Except they don't word it that way. Look at verse 17. Look what they say. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And you see this in a few other spots in the Bible, this story. And in a couple of those, it also says that the the disciples say, look, we're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we would have to go buy bread and that would take time. So I don't know how this is supposed to happen. 
And see, you know what's really fun to do? Is you read a moment like this, and it's really fun to beat up on the disciples. And say, come on, you dummies. You're with Jesus. I mean, the guy can do anything. What are you worried about? And it's really fun to beat up on them. But this is us, isn't it? I mean, this is you and this is me. Because there's something that happens when we're looking at what's in front of us and we don't see how to do it or we're trying to figure out how to do it. It causes us to look at it through the lens of what I think is possible. What I can do about it or what I can't do about it. And so often, instead of a response of faith, you know how we respond? With excuses. Jesus, we only have five loaves and two fish, so we don't see how this could happen. Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere, so we don't see how this could happen. Their Frisbee team is like nine feet tall, so I don't see how this could happen. I just got bit by a choodle, so I don't see how I could play. My life doesn't look like their life, so I don't see how I could be a part of church, and church could be as much a part of my life as, as it is theirs. I got hurt in church one time already, so I don't see how I could get very involved. The people that I started out doing church with aren't the ones who are here with me now. So I don't see how church could be what, is, what it once was for me. And see, this is where the disciples got mixed up. And I think this is where we get mixed up. Because see, what the disciples thought was going on here is that they were being asked to figure out how to do something. But that's not really what's going on here. And if we look at that next section, verse 18, we'll find out what's really going on here. Verse 18, bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And then this is just amazing. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. See, it's kind of misleading because in your Bible, at the heading there, it says Jesus feeds 5,000. But I think he fed a lot more than that when you count in women and children. A lot more than that. But do you want to know what's really going on here? What's really going on is Jesus is taking this moment and this opportunity to remind them that they are not the ones who can do anything about this situation. They can't do anything, but he can. And he has already figured out how. And so he's not asking them to do anything. He's asking them to be part of what he's doing. And if God has figured out how that thing in front of us is going to be taken care of. If he's figured out the how, then there's a much better focus for us. 
And it's a waste of time to focus on how all the time. It's a waste of time and it's a waste of energy. And we find out what that better focus is at the end of verse 19. Go back there real quickly. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. And listen to this. And the disciples gave them to the people. See, I think we just blow right by that when we read that story. But when the disciples were free to trust and have faith that Jesus had how taken care of, well, then they could focus on what Jesus gave them to do in that moment. And in our lives, if God has figured out how it's going to happen, then we can focus on what he is giving us to do in the moment. Since God has figured out how, he's figured out the how, we can focus on right now. If God has figured out how, we can focus on now. And that is an idea that I fought against and fought against and fought against and still fight against from time to time for a long time. Um, Ryan Long, will you come up here? And Kara, honey, will you come up here? That's my wife, um, just in case you're wondering why I called a random woman, honey. Um, in, in 2004, Ryan came to me and he said, Nathan, I really think you should work with some junior high kids. And uh, immediately that H word jumped into my mind. A lot of words jumped into mind, but the H word jumped into mind and I went, how? I mean, I have no patience for junior high kids. I have no tolerance for junior high kids. It was the worst two years of my own life. Why would I do that? How would that even look? And so I said, Ryan, no, not doing it. It's not happening. And then 2005 came around and one of Ryan's other gifts is he just does not leave you alone. And so 2005, he came back. He's like, Nathan, I really think you should work with junior high kids. And like a week and a half later, we're at home and my wife is like, Nathan, you should work with junior high kids. And I was like, how much did Ryan pay you? And whose side are you on? I said, no. 2006, Ryan said, Nathan, I really think you should pray about working with junior high kids. And Kara all this time has been saying it, but this time something was different. <sighs> because I started thinking about these junior high kids and I'm going, oh. I hate to think that a junior high kid is going through like some of the worst years of their life and they don't know some of the things that I, I learned in going through junior high. So I said, yes. And um, leaders, I'm going to ask you to come up here, youth leaders. Um, because one thing that happens when a room full of junior high kids run into a room, one thing that happens is you go, I need reinforcements. And I don't care if you want to do it or not, just get here. Because I'm not going through this alone. So I had this incredible group of leaders that showed up. And some of them, God's called them on to other things in life and stuff like that. But you have to know that these are some of them right here. And uh, the thing that happened through all that is that in working with the youth, well, you start growing closer when you work with other people doing the same thing. And these weren't just people that I saw on Sundays, but they're people that we worked with, but also had relationships with. 
started finding community with. Now, youth, I'm going to ask all of you to come up here right now, too. Because one thing that happened is when that first junior high class, when they came into eighth grade in 2006, by the end of that year, they were graduating up to the high school group, and I had stopped working with the high school group at that time to focus on junior high. And as they graduated up to the high school group, I was heartbroken. Absolutely heartbroken. And then the next eighth grade class showed up that next year. And they graduated up to the high school group. And I was absolutely heartbroken. And then the next year, the same thing happened. And I thought, you know, Lord, it would be so cool. I mean, we've seen you, like, use our lives to make a difference in their lives this far. But it'd be so cool to get to work with them again. So this opportunity opened up. Got to work with the high schoolers. And guess who's in the high school group at that time? Those junior hires that we had. And now some of them are actually some of our youth leaders. And some of them are about to graduate high school. And some of them are in the group still. And we go on these trips together, and I just need you to see this. We went to Pagosa Springs um, about a month ago. And these posts, I know it's hard to see on the screen, so I'm going to read them to you. Um, these showed up on my Facebook page. <laughs> Sorry. Clarice Eldridge. Had the best weekend of my life with my favorite people. I love the youth group so much. And I'm so blessed to be able to be in fellowship with the most amazing people on the planet. Thank you guys for everything. Tristan Wiggs, one of the best weekends of my life so far. Thank you so much for, so thank you so much everybody for what you guys did in Pagosa. Mariah Ruptak, had the best weekend of my life. If you notice, they just all type the same thing. <laughs> had the best weekend of my life. I'm so blessed to have made the friends I've made and to have a blast in Pagosa with the best youth group ever. Ten exclamation marks. Love you guys. Randon Rodarte. Had the best weekend with my friends and family. I love every one of you. Thanks for the amazing weekend, playas. <laughs> we got home from a trip together to San Francisco and Orange County last summer. And one of the youth put this up. By far, sorry. By far, one of the greatest youth trips I have ever been on. I have never felt the Lord move like he did, nor have I ever been a part of such a tightly knit group. Thank you all. You are my best friends in the world. Do you know who wrote that? Graham Stuckey one of the first junior hires I met on the first night that I said, yeah, I'll work with him. He's one of our leaders now. He's out of town this morning. But you know what, you know what chokes me up about this whole thing is I almost missed, I almost missed out on this because I almost said no. And do you know why? Because I couldn't see how. I couldn't see how it was going to happen. And do you know what I've learned 
I've learned that God is a God of how. God has figured out how. And if God has figured out how, then we're freed up to focus on now. You guys can sit down. Thank you so much for coming up here. Could take a while. (laughs) But you know, when God figures out how, all we have to do is look at now. And that is just what has happened, what I've seen him do in my life. The truth is, the story of this church is a story of God meeting how and figuring out how through people who are responding to those now moments. When they're faced with now. You know, it happens in the form of a men's group. And that now moment is a snowstorm that hits on Saturday night and keeps going to Sunday morning. And they're here before anybody, clearing the walks, so that we can come in here and glorify God. It happens through a Jan Fugler who she looked around and she saw a now moment with the women of this church. And she set the foundation for Lisa Beatty and Katie Brady and all the women in this church to do incredible things. I got to go just read, I just read something to the youth, uh, to the youth, to the women's group like a few months ago. And I am telling you, I walked in that room and I just was like, I wanna be part of the women's group. (laughs) It is incredible. There is a choir here that they get up here and they focus on those now moments, not the how it's gonna happen, but those now moments. And they have incredible relationships with one another. It's Bertha Melendrez. Her now moments are constantly praying for this church and for the people of this church. It's Suzanne Kakuris. Her now moment, one of her now moments, was to see an opportunity to make a difference by putting on a children's musical that attracts families and kids that don't even go to church, but they're allowed to be in it. God is meeting how through people focused on now. And so real quickly, I want to just go, you know, just zoom in from the 30,000 foot view to like the 20 foot view and look at two questions that we've just got to get clear on. And when you walk out of here this week, you don't have to have answers for them, but I want you to think about them. The first one's easy because I think we spend a lot of time here. Where are you focused on how? You look at church and you don't see how you could be involved. You don't see how you could, you know, be part of any of it because you don't see how. You know, maybe it's a person. You know, maybe it's you tried a group. You tried a group one time and it just wasn't a fit. So you don't see how you could come back and like have any fun or get involved with it. You know, I had a parent. They said their son came one time and he just didn't quite First time at youth group, didn't quite jive with him. And I thought, that's my story. I hated youth group for like six months before I, before I jumped in. You know, maybe you need to jump in somewhere and serve. You know, but you just don't think you could do it. And that's your how. Second question, what is in front of you right now? And I just hit on that. But maybe it's a group that you can join and build relationships, meaningful relationships. Maybe it is an opportunity to serve. 
You know, we're always looking for greeters. What if people's first experience of this church was not in the foyer, but it was in the parking lot because we had people who went to help people bring things in and get stuff out to their car. You know, there are all kinds of opportunities around this place. Ryan talked about one last week with the Stevens ministry. There will be an opportunity very soon to be part of the congregational care ministry here at West Bowles. And so what is in front of you right now? Because you know what? I truly believe this, and maybe I'm naive when I say this, but I believe God wants to fill this place up. I really believe that. And call me naive, but I think he does. Not so that we can boast about numbers or anything like that, but I believe he wants to fill it up because he wants to do the exact same thing in other people's lives that I've seen him do in mine and you hopefully have seen him do in yours. And that is this, to help people see their true identity and not the lies that culture feed them, to help people find community and meaningful relationships that they need in life and to give people opportunities to make a difference in one another's lives and in the world around us. And so if God has taken care of how, all we have to do is focus on right now. Let's pray. Father, boy, I mean, it's like our default to just go to how. Forgive us for every single time you put something in front of us that is an opportunity from you for analyzing it and trying to figure it out and ultimately trying to see how this thing would ever happen. Because we know that you are still building your church and you will continue to build your church. And you know what? We don't want to miss out. We don't want to miss that. And so, Father, show us where maybe we've been so focused on how, how it could happen when we're not that involved, how it could happen when we've been hurt, how it could happen when we don't see people that we, that we started with. Show us what our how is. And then, Father, change our focus. Because we know that when we change our focus, everything changes. Change our focus to what is in front of us right now. Etch that on our hearts, Father, in the weeks, in the months, in the years to come. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.